I think it's interesting and very revealing that no matter what your opinion of Christianity or religion uh, is, that everyone pretty much agrees that Jesus Christ was the most important human being who ever lived. And, and whether you're a faithful person or, or not, like that's just a true thing that, that everyone has to grapple with, that this person did such important things, we're still talking about him 2,000 years later. And, and that's a pretty rare thing. Because, uh, for example, I'm an English literature major. I, I think English literature is very important. Uh, and I strongly believe that Geoffrey Chaucer is the most important person in the history of the English language. But even I have to admit that for most people, that's pretty irrelevant to their lives. And if they go their entire life and never hear about Geoffrey Chaucer, they're probably not going to be that much the worse off for it. Uh, and it's really only people who care about modern English grammar and diction that really need to know anything about Geoffrey Chaucer. Although, in my opinion, more people should care about English grammar and diction, just by the way. But even atheist scholars, when they create lists of the most important human beings who have ever existed, Jesus Christ is at the top of every list. And it's because whether you think he was God or not, he did things, and it's what we've been looking at in this series. He made choices that were so counterintuitive that, that, were, that had not been done before. He chose to ask and understand people around him. He chose to forgive. He chose to honor and give generously of his time and resources. And today we're going to look at a, a fifth choice that Jesus made that I think is definitely a part of why he is so important to everyone uh, in humanity. Uh, and it starts with this moment that we just kind of recreated here during that song a moment ago. See, it's this moment where Jesus entered into the city of Jerusalem during one particular festival time over 2,000 years ago. And the people waved palm branches and they greeted him and they gave him title and status unlike anyone else. They gave him the highest praise they could give him. He was the king of kings. Uh, they, they praised him. Uh, they connected him and compared him to the greatest king who'd ever been in their nation's history, King David. Uh, they greeted him with Hosanna, the one who saves. They gave him highest status, highest honor. And in the face of that kind of a reception, what choice did Jesus make? That's what we're going to look at this morning. And so we were looking at John uh, chapter 13. John's one of the people who wrote down all the things that Jesus did and said while he was on earth. And this story that we're going to look at takes place a couple of days after this Palm Sunday, this triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem where he's lifted up with all the greatest names, titles, status that could be given. And he's at a, a private, intimate dinner with some close friends, and this is where the story picks up. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. And this is important. Before we even know what's about to happen, just know this, that everything that's about to follow in this story is prompted by this realization. Jesus knew that all things were under his power. He had highest authority of anyone who has ever had authority. He had status. And knowing this, that's what's going to prompt the actions that follow. And so knowing that all, the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God, so he got up from the meal. 
he took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Now, as you're engaging with that narrative, you probably noticed there was this very weird thing going on in the story. But it's probably not the weird thing that they thought was going on. See, for us, at least for me, the thing that's weird and jumps out to me is this whole foot washing deal. That's very odd to me. And, I'm, and as I wrestle with this story, I'm trying to figure out what does this mean for us? What is going on here? But, but we have to recognize that this was not the weird part of the story for the people in the story. Foot washing was normal. In fact, foot washing was kind of a daily routine. And think about the comparison of cultures, right? Like we live in an age where all of our roads are paved, where we ride on those roads in air-conditioned cars, where we have access to water piped into every one of our homes running through a heater that comes out from a nozzle and that can just pour over us in a heavenly hot water blessing. We don't need foot washing anymore. But think about the time. Like this was a time where the roads weren't paved, where they walked everywhere they went. There was no air conditioning. There was no uh, shower system. Foot washing was just what you did when you got somewhere. When you went to a house, when you were about to have a meal, you washed your feet. See, the thing that's weird about this story is not the foot washing. That's what we think is weird. It's not what they think is weird. What they thought was weird is who was doing the foot washing. Foot washing, normal. Jesus doing that, not normal. This is the weird thing we have to grapple with. Because even then, I look at this and I go, Peter, stop being a jerk, man. If Jesus wants to wash your feet, let him wash your feet. Like, what's, what's the deal? You, you look at that moment and you go, that, that seems odd that you would have such a, a harsh reaction to this nice thing. I mean, all right, Jesus wants to do a nice thing. Let him do it, right? And as I was wrestling with, okay, what would be a modern day comparison? What would be a thing in our culture that would, that would help us understand exactly how weird this was? Uh, and I couldn't think of anything. But thankfully, we have a lot of smart people uh, here on the staff. In fact, one of our teachers, Heath Lumen, uh, was talking about this with me, and he gave me this example, and I think it is perfect. This, this is what I'm going to share with you now to help you understand truly how shocking this moment was. Picture right now, today, you are in your house, you have invited your boss over for dinner, right? Think about the preparations you would put in. This is a person with high status. This is a person that has influence over you and your life. They make a big impact on you. You've invited your boss over for dinner. Your boss comes in the door. You've got everything laid out and the boss says, oh, thank you so much for having us. We're so excited. Can't wait to have dinner with you. Before we eat dinner, I need to clean your bathrooms. Okay, that's horrifying, right? I don't know about you, but if I were in that situation where my boss had said to me, okay, I need to clean your bathrooms before we eat, I would lock the door to the bathroom and I would claim with a straight face that we don't have indoor plumbing in this house. I'm sorry. We just go outside. That's what we do. There's nothing to clean here, right? Because right? this is the point. 
that someone that has that much status, authority, power in your life, you do not want that person engaging with the grossest part of your house. And it's not that cleaning in the bathroom is weird. It's that the person doing it, that's, that's the thing that makes the difference. See, because that's part of the point of status, isn't it? That status means you don't have to do these menial things. And yet that's exactly what Jesus is doing. And now maybe you have a little more sympathy for Peter in this moment where we just look at that and say, all right, he wants to wash your feet. No big deal. Let, let it happen. You see why Peter's saying, no, over my dead body, no, don't wash my feet. Because Jesus is mixing two things that don't generally go together. This idea that he is a person of influence and authority and power and that he's doing a thing that is generally not done by people with influence and authority and power. So why? We got to wrestle with that today. We got to look at this story and figure out what is Jesus trying to communicate to his disciples? What is he trying to model for us? So the story continues. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. No, no, they do not understand what he has done for them. They're just freaked out. All right, but we're going to keep going. We're going to push through this. He says, look, you call me teacher. You call me Lord. You call me king of kings and Hosanna in the highest. And rightly so. So this is an important point. A lot of, it's a very trendy thing right now for people who are not believers to say, oh, Jesus was a good, wise teacher. He has said a lot of things, but he didn't actually elevate himself. He didn't think he was God. He didn't think he was anything special. He was just a humble, wandering preacher uh, who didn't put on any airs. And, and this is one of many points in the Bible that, that give the lie to that people that try to, to wrestle with it like that. Like, no, no, Jesus is saying, you called me a king a couple of days ago. You, my friends, you call me teacher and Lord, and all of it is rightly so, because that is what I am. I am the king of kings. I do have all power and authority from God in heaven, and that is who I am. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, now that I have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master. See, what he's saying to them is that if I really am king of kings, lord of everything, if I really am your teacher and lord and the hosanna in the highest, and if I'm willing to do this debased thing, if I'm willing to serve you in this way, then who are you? to think you're better than me and to think that that's something that's beneath you to do. He says, no, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the story. This is a story that without overstatement, I can say, changed the course of history. You know, there are very few things that you can look at and say, all right, this was the thing that changed history, the the invention of the printing press and the steam engine. This moment, 2,000 years ago, when one man chose to serve and when he washed the feet of people around him, this was a dividing point in human history. 
And we're going to spend the rest of the time looking at why. But I'm going to go ahead and reveal the answer to you right now. Do it up front, and then we'll spend some time looking at it. Here are the two conclusions that we must draw from this story. And anyone that has spent time studying it and looking at it will agree. These are the conclusions that matter. I'm going to give them to you now, and then we're going to unpack them. All right? So the first thing is this, that the Lord of everything chose to be a servant to everyone. And then secondly, as a result of that, and now everyone's social status has been complicated ever since. This is what this moment did, and we're going to spend some time looking at both of these. And so first is this idea, this idea that the Lord of everything chose to be a servant to everyone. This is literally unbelievable. This is not how power and status have ever worked in human history. In fact, you even look at the way human beings engaged with the supernatural. You look at the Greeks and the Greek gods and the Egyptians and the Egyptian gods. And there's this idea that, that, that made sense that with power comes privilege, comes status, comes avoiding of the menial tasks. And in fact, it was just right that a king who has higher status than people below him is the Lord of them, and that the people below the king serve the king. And it's right that human beings walking around in our broken messiness, that we serve the gods who are up there and have even higher status than us, because that's just what you do. They're the gods. And and even when they understood these gods to be cruel and and mercurial and, and toyed with human beings and inflicted struggles on them just for their own fun and games, you didn't see the Greeks or the Egyptians complaining about that. It's just fair. You're the gods, we're the humans. The status differential is huge. And all of the obligation flows one direction. We as the lower status beings have an obligation to serve the higher status beings. And we have no truck to complain for whatever the higher status beings do. We can't complain if the king wants to do things differently. He wants to chop off people's heads. Hey, he's the king. That's what he gets to do. The gods want to toy with us. Well, they're the gods. That's what they get to do. And in one fell swoop, in one shocking choice at a dinner table in Jerusalem, God, through Jesus, threw a divine curveball into the way that we had always understood status and power. See, suddenly, instead of the Lord of everything, meaning that everything else served him, the Lord of everything now chooses to serve everyone. See, from this point on, God is setting the tone for how he thinks creation should work. That instead of your authority and power and status being used to protect and preserve your own self and your own way of life, instead, those who have authority and power are obliged through the example of God to use that authority and power to serve those who don't have any authority and power. This is a fundamental reordering of how every power structure has ever worked. And that leads us, um, in fact, I want to unpack that even a little more um, because it leads us to something that Paul said uh, a little bit later. Paul's another one of the witnesses of Jesus Christ, and he describes this moment from God this way. He's talking to believers. He says, look, believers, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who, being in very nature God, he had all of the, of the authority and might and power of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. 
See, right there it is, this moment where Jesus chose to serve. But Paul isn't just talking about one moment at a dinner table with with towels and a wash basin. See, Paul continues on to make clear that this is what he's saying. He's saying, being nature of servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, if it's unheard of for someone of higher status to willingly choose to serve, it's certainly unheard of for them to serve to the point of death, to sacrifice themselves for the sake of of someone lower than themselves. I mean, look at the history of warfare. Warfare uh, for, or for centuries was you sent the expendable troops first and you let the peons get killed and the nobility and the kings, they stayed in the back out of harm's way. Because that's how it's supposed to be. That's what status means. And the, the lower status people are supposed to die for the sake of their king. And instead, we have this picture of God saying, actually, I'm going to choose to die for the sake of the lower beings, for the sake of humanity. And, and then Paul continues on. So he doesn't stop there because he doesn't just die. But then God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, God doesn't just stay down. He doesn't just say, oh, I'm the Lord, but it doesn't matter. I'm going to get low uh, and pretend like I'm not the Lord. No, he's still the Lord. And in fact, he's the Lord in an even greater, grander way that every knee will bow. Every tongue confess. His status doesn't go away. His lordship, his authority, his power doesn't go away. He's just choosing to use it in a different way. And by God making that choice... It not only rescued you and me, like that wasn't just a a personal gain for us, that we have now been served by God himself. We've now been rescued from death by God himself. But it has now thrown all of our human interactions out of whack, which brings us to point two. That this has now gotten complicated in a way that I think we as Americans don't always recognize. See, because as Americans, we're in this very interesting grand historical experiment. This idea that all men are created equal. All people are created equal. And so we've worked very hard for a couple of hundred years to deny social status as a thing. We've worked hard to say, no, 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 there is no such thing. We're all the same status. But even we can't deny that that, that that's more complicated than we would like to admit. First and foremost, because by doing away with status, we make interactions in society much more complicated. Say what you will about societies that have hierarchical status structures, a lot of the guessing game is taken away. If you're in England and there's, and there's a queen and there's a whole royal family and there's a layer of nobility and then there's you, like, like you know where you fit in the structure. And there's not a lot of guessing games about who owes what to whom and how we need to act towards each other. You just know it because it's built into the caste system. It's built into the hierarchy. We, as Americans, we struggle to find our soulmates and our one true love because anyone in the world could be our one true love. But if you're in a society that's got status structures, like you've actually got a very limited range that you're allowed to look. Like it's going to be someone who is your equal in status and class. That's where you're going to look for a future marriage partner. And so we've, we've made life muddier and more complicated for ourselves by trying to act like we don't have social status anymore. But even then, we get in this weird thing where now we have to pretend that we don't have status even when we clearly do. 
I see this a lot. You know, it's things like where someone compliments you on, on a nice uh, purse that you have or, or a nice outfit, and the first thing you have to do is say, well, I, I got it on sale. Because you don't want to admit that, that you have the kind of status that could buy a nice purse. Or, or we act like we have to pretend or hide our status for the sake of people listening to us. We see it in, in politics, people that want to be uh, civil leaders, elected officials. Because uh, what do you have to do? You're, like, you're literally saying that you want to be in charge of cities, governments, states, nations. You're saying you want status, and yet what is a politician, first thing they have to do? They have to shake hands, and they have to kiss the babies. And they have to say, oh no, it's all right, I'm, I'm just like one of you. I'm not special, I'm not higher than you, I'm just the same as you. We have to act like there's no status. And it's, we, we really get a glimpse of that when we compare ourselves to other countries that haven't been quite so influenced by Christianity and by these truths that Jesus changed. Uh, I, I think of one American speaker who had been hired by a Chinese company to go speak in China uh, on, on, in their field of expertise. And this American speaker did something that I think you or I would recognize as normal speaking rhetorical move, okay? When he would start his speech, he would, he would start with this anecdote of a time that he'd kind of done something a little silly. And like, oh yeah, and I kind of you know, learned the wrong thing there. I messed up, you know, ha ha ha. And then he'd move in to the, the, the main point of his talk. And we would all recognize that. That's what we do. It's what I do a lot of times up here, right? The first thing that you do when you speak to a group of people is you have to establish that you don't think you're better than them. They're like, no, no, we're, we're the same here, you and I. I mess up, you mess up, we're all the same, and now I can share my talk. See, but Chinese culture hasn't uh, internalized this um, reality from Christ's moment 2,000 years ago. Chinese culture actually still values status for status' sake, And so, in fact, this American speaker was embarrassing his employers because they assembled all these employees. Time is money. They've made all these employees come together for a speech because, and they brought in an expensive American expert to make them better at their jobs. And then the first thing this expert does is say, I'm kind of an idiot. (laughs) And the Chinese uh, bosses are saying, no, that's not what we want from you. We want you to be the expert. We want you to actually leverage your status. You are the American expert. Use that. That's what we're paying for. In fact, his translator, it turns out, was protecting him from his gaffe. And that as he would tell the anecdote, she was just translating and saying, he's telling a story that doesn't matter to anything he's about to talk about. So when I tell you, just laugh, and then he'll start telling us the real stuff. (laughs) He didn't find that out for weeks. See, because they have a much more straightforward relationship with status because for them, status hasn't gotten complicated. Status, in fact, is supposed to have perks. That's the point of status. The reason it's nice to have a car is because that status means you don't have to take a bus anymore. That's the whole point. The reason why it's nice to be able to afford to eat out at a restaurant is so that you don't have to cook anymore. That's the point. The reason it's nice to have a housekeeper is it means you don't have to clean your house anymore. Maybe because everyone I know who has a housekeeper cleans their house more every time the housekeeper's about to come over. Uh, And I think it's because of this thing again. It's like, well, you know, I don't want to make someone clean my mess. I guess I got to clean it first so that then they can clean it. Again, see, it all comes back down to this complicated social status. And if you don't believe me, social status complication has in fact changed the English language that you speak. Bet you didn't know that. Maybe a good thing you got an English literature major up here. Who knows a little bit about Geoffrey Chaucer? Just saying. See, there's a word that was one of the most common words in the English language up to about two, three hundred years ago. 
That word was thou, T-H-O-U, thou. And have any of you noticed that we don't use the word thou anymore? I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, boy, howdy, please tell us why we don't use the word thou anymore. I got you, fam. I know why. Here's why. Social status complication. See, if you've ever taken another language, most languages have a formal and an informal version of the second person. Uh, and English actually did too. So you, Y-O-U, was the, the form that you used for someone who was your social equal or your superior. When you are talking to your boss, you would say you. Thou was the term reserved for social inferiors. When you were talking to a servant, you used thou. But now here we are in America, this grand social experiment where all people are created equal, and the early Americans, they've got servants, but they feel kind of bad about it. And you're not going to get rid of the servants. After all, the bedpans aren't going to clean themselves. But what you can do, what you can do is you can speak respectfully to your servant. And yes, they might be doing the menial tasks in your house, but you're not going to refer to them in a derogatory way with thou. You're going to give them honor and respect, and you're going to use the word you. Now, I have servants, but I treat them well, and with respect, I call them you. And in very short order, thou became an insult in our society, because it meant that you were uh, defining someone else as having an inferior status to you. And we can't have that in America. And so very quickly, thou dropped off the face of the map. We don't use it anymore. Everyone's equal. Everyone gets to be referred to as you. And that's what happened. Right? See, this, this thing has r- radically changed the way we think, the way we talk, the way we act, the way we treat each other. It's changed our language. And here's why. Paul summarizes it this way in his letter to another church in Corinth. See, he says this. He says, look, here's the reality. Ever since Jesus Christ died for me and set me free from sin, death, ever since he served me and gave me the highest status in the land as someone that the Lord of everything died for, I am free. I belong to no one. And yet, at the same time, I have made myself a slave. And that word is as bald and ugly uh, as it has ever been now, and it was then too. This word has all the negative connotations that you can think of. And Paul's saying, I willingly make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. So how do we walk this tightrope? How do we balance on this pendulum. How are we both free and a slave at the same time? This is what I mean when I say social status has gotten complicated. Martin Luther even recognized it 500 years ago. Here's how he summarized this paradox. He said this, every Christian, every Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all subject to nobody. But also, every Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. Nobody is the boss of me. But everybody has some sort of a claim on me. So how do we do it? Luther explained it, you know, summarized it so well 500 years ago. This is truly a paradox. And paradoxes are tough to live out. So how do we navigate this one? How do we thread the needle? 
of being Lord of all, subject to nobody, servant of all, subject to all? And the answer is three simple words. Choose to serve. It's the title of the message. It's what Jesus did in this moment. But but, but let me help you understand why these three words are so powerful and so important. See, the first word is choose. It is a true thing that you, right here, right now sitting there, you have the highest status of any human being ever. The Queen of England does not have higher status than you. Bill Gates, with all his wealth, does not have higher status than you because the Lord of everything thought you were worthy enough to sacrifice himself for. No one is the boss of you. No one has higher honor than you because you are a son or a daughter of the king. You choose. You are not ordered. You are not obligated. You are not burdened. You have the freedom to choose. But what do you choose to do? You choose to serve. Because look at the person on your left. Look at the person on your right. God gave them that same high status that he gave you. They also have been died for by the king of the universe, the Lord of everything, which means they also have this high status you have. No matter what their earthly level might be, no matter how how rich or poor they might be, no matter how successful or unsuccessful, famous or anonymous they might be, they also have this high status from the king. And so you, with your high status, you choose. But what do you choose to do? You choose to serve. You choose to get low, to not claim the obligations that you might deserve based on your relative merit or worth or status. But instead, you choose to look at the people around you, no matter where they fit in the social structure, no matter where they are on the ladder above or below you, and you look at them and you say, what do you need? And then you choose to serve. Let me give you some examples. Think of it this way. There's one very interesting place in our meritocratous uh, nation uh, where there's no status and everyone's equal. There's one place where status has, stayed the, uh, has still stayed in existence for us even a few hundred years later. And you know where it is? At restaurants. Because you, when you go to a restaurant, you are a patron at a meal, and the person that's, um, that's working there literally has the title, the job title, server. It's what they do. It's this very odd anachronism in our culture where, where you still have someone who is designated as a server of someone else. And so what would it mean in that moment not to go to a restaurant and to think, what am I owed? What is my due as the patron of this fine dining establishment? But to look at that server and say, what do you need right now because we know that you know they they make two dollars and 13 cents as as a as a wage that's guaranteed from their employer and and so they're dependent on tips uh, as a way to get to anything closely resembling a minimum wage or a living wage and so what if we in that moment choose to serve and say what do you need you need someone's generosity and I'll tell you this, this is, this is my bold statement for the morning. I'll tell you this, if we just as a group made this one choice to do this, that every time you went to a restaurant, you said grace at the beginning of your meal, and then you tipped 25% at the end of your meal, that would do more good for the kingdom of God and for the reputation of Christianity than any evangelism on street corners, any doctrinal arguments on Facebook, any tracts that we might hand out that explain the good news. 
that one act would completely resurrect our reputation within a community that largely fears and distrusts Christians. What do they need? How can I choose to serve? Or think about it in your family. Uh, One of the things I like about my particular family is that I am the daddy. And no one else gets to be the daddy. Which means I have children that based on our uh, positional authority, based on the familial totem pole, I am at the top of it. Or at least my wife lets me think that I am. And I don't probe too hard on that. But at the end of the day, they are the children and I am the daddy. And so I could leverage that positional authority. And I could say to them, you will do what I say. Why? Because I said so. And who am I? The daddy. Or I could ask myself, what does my child need right now? And maybe they're acting up. But maybe it's because what they need is connection from their father who hasn't seen them all day because I've been working. Or maybe they're feeling uh, tired and worn out because there's something burdening them and and I need to do the hard work to, to serve them and to ask, what went on in your day today? And maybe they need some firmness and some discipline, but, but it wouldn't come from a place of my leveraging the fact that I'm the daddy. It would come from a place of my saying, I think I know what you need right now. And you just, you need some structure and you need some discipline or some consequence. But to never let that word come out of my mouth that you will do it because I said so, because I have the status over you. Or maybe uh, it's in the workplace where you have people who report to you or who are below you in the hierarchy. And it would be so easy to leverage your positional authority and say, hey, look, I'm the boss. In fact, I had a boss like that once. He had a sign over his door and the sign said this. It said, I may not always be right, but I am always the boss. And what we learned very quickly was this was not a person who cared about our opinions, uh, who would tolerate us going uh, outside of the box to try to make the, the job better, the company better, do the bottom line, because what mattered most to this person was his status as the boss. But what if instead, as bosses, we chose to serve our employees and say, what, what do you need right now? You got a kid sick at home and you're trying to figure out daycare. Can can I accommodate that need? Can I serve you? And can I trust that in choosing to serve, the actual company's bottom line will be served as well? That if I treat you like a human being, if I I actually look to, to serve you and not just lay claim to the fact that I'm the boss and you do what I say, would their lives be better? Would our company be better? Would our product be better? I think it would. Or think about the zip code that we live in. I recently saw a chart that mapped out all the zip codes in the St. Louis area. And you'll be pleased to know our zip code has the lengthiest life expectancy, the highest average wealth, the best health metrics. You go two zip codes over and it's a completely different story. And what would it look like to ask what do they need over there and how can we choose to serve, not to blame them for what they did or did wrong or bad choices they've made and to to hold that over them as part of our positional authority, but just to simply ask the question, how can we serve? I didn't call this out in the story, but you know whose feet Jesus washed? Judas Iscariot's. He knew what Judas was about to do. He knew what Judas deserved. He washed his feet anyway. He chose to serve even someone who's about to make one of the worst choices that's ever been made in history. And if we did this, if we made this simple choice, 
what would be different in the world around us and in our own lives? The last verse of this story, I read it, but I didn't call attention to it. The last verse, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, if if you follow my example, if you choose to ask and understand, if you choose to forgive, you choose to honor and give generously to those around you, if you choose to serve the way I've served you, you know what he says? He says, my Father in heaven will bless you. And what I'll say to you is this, that is almost certainly true, it's true, it's Jesus' promise, but but I'll, I'll go a step further. If you choose to serve, God will bless you because that's what Jesus promised. But you know what? He won't even have to. Because if you choose to serve, your sway will speak for itself. And you will not only see blessings in this life, you will reap blessings on those around you. And your sway will be amazing. And they'll be talking about you for generations to come. Let's play. Let's pray. Lord God, I give you thanks. In fact, I stand before you in awe that you who are the Lord of everything, all power on heaven and earth, you could have stayed up there in heaven and, and given no credit or honor or care of our struggles down here. And instead, you chose to serve us even unto death. You chose to get low so that you could bring each and every one of us away from this consequence of life, away from the death that was waiting for each of us. And so, Lord, now on behalf of this community, I give you thanks. I give you praise and honor that you served us, that you reversed an entire human history of order and status. And Lord, I now also pray on behalf of this community that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would take this example that you set for us, that you would empower us to serve others in mighty and unpredictable ways so that our influence and impact would be extreme. We pray all this in your holy name. Amen. To seal all this up, I invite you to join me in singing this next song. It's got one line that says, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. All the ways that Jesus has served you. Not just in this moment at a table 2,000 years ago. Not just in humbling himself to death on a cross. But that the entirety of your life, your God has been working to serve and bless you. And so let's remind ourselves of that today.